Welcome to the Board Shorts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cook, and I'm here with another easy to digest dose of valuable board and company director related information designed to help you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom. Welcome back to another episode. You're listening to episode 48. ESG and three things all boards can learn from the big four banks. I am really excited to be sharing this episode with you because ESG is a topic that I have spent a lot of time in lately. And even though I feel like I'm only scratching the surface here, there are some valuable things that I've picked up that I feel are worthwhile sharing. As you can tell by the title of this podcast, this episode considers the big four Australian banks, and that is Commonwealth Bank, National Australia Bank, ANZ, and Westpac. Why, you may ask? (laughs) Well, that inspiration is where I want to start this episode. So I'm going to first sort of go high level with this topic and then bring it down to three things that all boards can learn from the ESG activities of our major banks here in Australia. So stick with me through a little journey through some theory and positioning and the information I'll share towards the end of the episode will make much more sense and therefore will be of much more value to you and your board. Okay, let's start with how this topic actually came about. If you're a longtime listener of the Board Shorts podcast, thank you, by the way, you will probably have picked up that I'm currently undertaking postgraduate study through a Master of Business Law. And last semester, I was enrolled into corporate governance, naturally. And my major assignment for that class, which was a 5,000 odd word research essay, was really on a topic of our choice and anything that we could relate to corporate governance. So we had quite a broad remit. Knowing that ESG is currently a hot topic in this area, I decided to focus on that and its adoption into boardrooms across Australia. So when I started my research, I very quickly discovered that to consider the very broad boardrooms across Australia part of the question, that was going to be rather difficult to do and to fit into 5,000 words. So I decided to consider organisations where information about their ESG activities was easiest to come by. And here in Australia, that meant listed companies. And our major listed companies includes our major banks. (laughs) So I knew their information was going to be comprehensive, available, and at a high standard because of our regulatory environment that we have here. That And my corporate governance professor had just written a book about corporate governance in banks, so I knew that this topic would play to his interests. It seemed to have worked because my paper has actually been submitted to an academic journal for publication, fingers crossed, within the year. 
So knowing that what I have written is good enough for that, I actually then feel comfortable enough talking about it and sharing some of my learnings and reflections from my research. All right, let's tackle the obvious question here. What is ESG? Environment, Social and Governance or ESG, as it's often referred to, prioritises stakeholders, both humans and the natural world, in the context of an organisation's operating environment. Now, a range of topics and issues can fit under the umbrella ESG term. And if you do some Googling on this, you'll see that there are a ton of different definitions and some of them I'll run through so we can demonstrate what, what these examples are. And this is a list uh, from my paper <laughs> that I compiled from uh, the Diligent website. So environment is really focused on the preservation of our natural world. Of course, climate change fits under that. Also, you have carbon emission reduction, water pollution, water scarcity, air pollution, deforestation, and all of that sort of environmental related stuff. (laughs) Social includes um, anything that considers humans and our interdependencies. So this is things like customer success, data hygiene and security, gender and diversity and inclusion, community relations, mental health, things like that. Governance relates to logistics and defined process for running a business or organization. It includes the board of directors and its makeup, executive compensation guidelines, political contributions and lobbying, venture partner compensation, hiring and onboarding best practices and things like that. ESG investment is really what is behind this increased focus on ESG activities and disclosures. And these ESG-related actions are being taken by by organisations and are measured by ratings agencies, various rating agencies. You'll, you'll, some Googling will show you that there's a handful of these and they all have slightly different ways of measuring and rating those ESG activities of different organisations. And it's actually been, surprise, surprise, happening since the early 1980s. And these ratings are a way for investors to screen companies, not just on financial characteristics, but also obviously including those uh, characteristics related to social and environmental performance and what those organisations are doing in those spaces. Um, Obviously, as investors' interest and expectations are growing in this space, then you increase the level of attention and expectations from regulators. Now, although ESG currently on its own um, doesn't carry any sort of strict specific uh, actions or activities that organisations have to do, there are a 
wide range of mandatory and voluntary disclosures that organizations in Australia, I can talk to, have to make. And we want to, so I wanted to focus on banks because they have quite an interesting and unique position in the economy. They're both standalone, very large corporations, but they also provide finance and investment into other very large corporations. So obviously, because of uh, that themselves being large organisations and the influence they have over other organisations in the economy, there's an increased attention being paid on their ESG-related activities and their disclosures. So that's kind of the big picture there that we're working towards. So let's have a think about what some of the banks are doing with ESG. Well, naturally they're doing a lot. <laughs> and really to save you from falling asleep and getting too much into the theory and too much into the academic, I'm really going to summarize their activities at a very high level. Um, as I mentioned, overall, the bank's activities are driven by mandatory disclosures regarding non-financial risks which is really dictated from particular parts of legislation and the ASX, which is the Australian Stock, sorry, Securities Exchange, corporate governance principles and recommendations, and through uh, other legislation like modern slavery legislation that we have here in Australia. And then there's other activities that are voluntary and that are coming from... Um, or being driven by what I'll call best practice. And in this context, that's largely stemming from a range of approaches and frameworks that have been developed by various NGOs around the world that have been adopted by companies here in Australia, mainly we're going to think about the banks, but also organisations around the world have adopted these approaches as well. And they're also being driven by what is seen as important by the banks and also from what their stakeholders are telling them are the important issues that they want them to focus on. So knowing that, here's a bit of an example of what some of the activities the banks are doing broken down across the E, the environmental, the S, the social and the G, the governance. So environmental, as I said, because of their unique position in the economy, banks are doing a lot of work with existing customers to support their transition to more environmentally friendly ways of operating, particularly uh, the highest emission producing organisations that they're financing and providing bank services for. And the banks are also looking at and doing things related to their own operations to make them more environmentally friendly. Now, they've been doing these things for a long time, which is great. So it's good to see them still focusing on this and still continuing those. 
What is most significant is all the banks are using a framework called the equator principles, and they're using these to assess future investment into or funding of major projects. So this is a global standard that banks around the world are adopting to make sure that their future investments are going towards more environmentally sustainable projects rather than just funding same, 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 same and expecting a different outcome. So that's the E, the environmental. The S, the social. And again, you can think of this, uh, the banks taking this internal and external view of their activities. Internally, they have things like diversity and inclusion programs, working from home, customer complaints and resolutions, whistleblowing programs for their staff, um, and also talking about the resolution of those complaints that are coming through there and things like modern slavery, which kind of bridge the internal and external out uh, to their suppliers. So if you think about more external view, the banks are undertaking act a lot of activities and programs around customer vulnerability and financial well-being. Again, they're looking at their customer complaints, uh, the escalation and resolution of those as well. And it's kind of in this area that you can see how many of those activities and areas of focus by the banks have really stemmed from and have been influenced by the findings in the Hain Royal Commission into misconduct into the financial services industry and from the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact that that had not only on their customers but on their staff as well. So you see a lot of influential um, influence coming from those two major uh, occurrences in the banking space in a very close period of time that have led to these kind of artifacts happening and they're for the, the good. So it, it's, it's on balance a good thing, I feel like. Now with G, with the governance, really what you see here is a strong focus on risk management. And risk management, once you get into looking at how companies are, are participating in ESG activities, what's motivating it, why they're doing it, and then how they close their loop and really assessing and checking that it's getting to the outcomes that they're hoping towards. It really is demonstrating that risk management is the beginning and the end point of all of this ESG activity. And real simply, ESG can be seen as one big risk management activity. Now, that's a little bit of a cynical view, I, I can tell you. <laughs> As you can imagine, the banks have really significant risk management requirements and those have recently very much been in the spotlight. And the Hain Royal Commission really highlighted this as a first point, but then APRA, the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority, have been really getting into the banks and checking that their risk management processes 
are robust enough and that they can handle the ever-growing task of manage, managing risks across such an enormous organisation. So many staff dealing with a lot of customers that you can imagine that would be a very challenging job. And all of the banks have very uh, large, very complex risk management approaches. And if that's a space that really gets you jazzed, then I recommend looking at the bank's uh, annual reports and seeing what their approach is like there. So obviously a consequence of this is that the bank's risk culture has elevated in importance and all banks have added culture elements into their executive remuneration structures. Added to their risk management task, boards are expected to meet and report on the principles and recommendations imposed on them by the Australian Securities Exchange, the Corporate Governance Council. So in a nutshell, that is a high-level look at what the banks are doing in relation to their ESG activities and disclosures. You've probably picked up a couple of things that may have piqued your interest as you were listening to me speak through that. Things that are different from the usual, what we call the shareholder primacy viewpoint that boards traditionally take and what we're traditionally told is how we should be thinking as board members and that's elevating the shareholder and shareholder returns before everything else. Uh, but that's being challenged and we this now is not the time to get into the uh, philosophy behind that but also because of this and because there are still many boards that don't have shareholders directly uh, particularly ones that that are in my audience and listen to this podcast I want to touch on a couple of theories that I think are worth highlighting here as they really do have strong influential powers over boards and organizations and the decisions that they're making and not making and what they choose to do in relation to ESG and these are stakeholder theory and legitimacy theory and don't worry I'm not getting too in-depth in either of these if they're both areas that interest you I encourage you to do some googling and check out what other people have to say on these but let's take a look firstly at stakeholder theory the reliance on certain stakeholders to provide resources for example shareholders providing equity capital, banks providing finance, employees providing labour, customers providing revenue, all those stakeholders providing resources to an organisation in order for it to achieve its strategic ambitions enables those stakeholders to demand certain actions or outcomes from that organisation. The conflicting demands from the various stakeholder groups must be assessed and met by management, that includes the boards, and the more significant the stakeholder, the greater attention its demands 
and expectations receives. Without support from stakeholders, the organisation will face significant challenges in achieving its objectives. Therefore, a strategic plan for managing stakeholder relationships might involve developing a firm's reputation as socially responsible through performing and disclosing corporate social responsibility or ESG type activities. It's this influence that the various stakeholders have on the activities chosen by the organisation that is of interest. And the corporation or the organisation must communicate its activities in response to stakeholder expectations and demands, and it does this via disclosures. And done right, these disclosures provide the organisation with its social licence to continue to operate. And the formation of this social contract in response to stakeholder interests is reflective of legitimacy theory in practice. So naturally, let's look at what legitimacy theory is. Legitimacy theory relies heavily on the concept of what is called a social contract, whereby an organisation is considered legitimate and can therefore use a community's resources to achieve its objectives. And legitimacy is a concept beyond the legal requirements for creation of the organisation and extends to meeting the social expectations of the key stakeholder community. If the community perceives that an organisation is not operating in a legitimate manner, then stakeholders could take action to disrupt the organisation through things like boycotting, interrupting the supply of labour, reducing access to capital and lobbying government to intervene through things like increased taxes, fines or laws to prohibit those activities of the business, which does not conform to the expectations of the community. This introduces a key tenet of legitimacy theory, the assumption that management will adopt strategies to demonstrate that the organisation is complying or attempting to comply to society's expectations of them. As these expectations change over time, the the organisation must continually demonstrate their legitimacy and that they are being good corporate citizens. This ongoing demonstration of good corporate citizen behaviours is primarily achieved by the corporation or the organisation making relevant and regular disclosures on matters that are considered important to key stakeholders. That information that they're sharing is necessary to change perceptions. If there is no disclosure, no sharing of information, there can be no effective way to change the stakeholder perceptions. So as you can see, these two theories are very closely related to each other. And essentially, you can't have one without the other. And they reinforce the other and done well and utilised well can benefit not just the organisation, but the broader community that it operates in.
So knowing all of this and considering the banks, what are the three things that we can take away from that and apply into our board and organisation regardless of what we do, who we operate with and the size, the resources, etc. These are the three things that I believe that we can learn from the banks and that are available to all boards. The first is to ask your stakeholders what's important to them and hopefully they come back with things that are aligned with the organization's purpose and strategy. So your stakeholders may have varying things of importance to them that relate to ESG, but the filter you want to run that through is what makes sense to your organization and what makes sense to its purpose and its strategy. You don't want to start doing an activity that really can't be connected back to what your organization does and what it's trying to achieve as a bigger picture. What this does is that it helps you to choose things to invest the time and money into that is genuine and meaningful because it is relevant to what you do as an organization. How you ask your stakeholders really is up to you and the resources available to you. The important thing is to identify your stakeholders and to select a handful of questions that you want to ask them. And it may involve the board, probably in line or in conjunction with the management, of coming up with some ESG-related activities that make sense for the organisation and its purpose and its strategy and sending those out to various stakeholders and asking them to rank them in order of importance to them and what they would like to see. That could help you um, and that may get a better response than just throwing out a blanket, what should we do? Uh, Because it's a lot easier for people to choose from an existing list than to come up with the ideas themselves. So that's number one. Number two is to set metrics, track and measure your progress or achievement to your goals. Again, you can come up with these on your own or you can use some of the frameworks that are already out there in in different areas of the business. Take a look at what the banks are doing and the different frameworks and approaches that they use and see if there's anything that aligns with Uh, the ESG types activities that your board has chosen to work on and to focus on and if there's anything that can help inform what is the best way to track and measure the impact and the progress that we're making in these spaces. Borrow from that or develop your own or do a combination is usually really useful as well. But you don't want to overcomplicate these things (laughs) for yourself otherwise it just won't get done and really like with any strategy any activity you need to track that it's happening the way you want or hope for and that the progress is being made 
towards achieving the goal and achieving the goal actually has the impact that you're wanting and expecting. And you need to be able to do this so that you can do the next step. And the number three thing that we can learn from boards that we can learn from the banks in relation to ESG is to report or disclose on your ESG activities. As we heard, a significant part of legitimacy theory actually involves telling your stakeholders what you were doing and how it, how it went, what was the outcome we achieved and what was the impact that this is ha- having on those groups of people that we wanted it to have. Now, you have to be really careful about doing something called greenwashing, and that's presenting information uh, under the pretenses that it is environmentally friendly or related to positive ESG outcomes when it really doesn't. It's kind of... um, fake ESG, if you can think about it like that. It's not genuine. It's not really happening the way that you're presenting it. And it's just a lot of marketing jargon that's meant to make you sound greener than what you really are. Now, with your reporting, you can go as deep or as wide as necessary. Again, really consider your stakeholders and what their expectations are around the information but also how you're presenting it as well. So I really encourage you to check out the bank's extensive reporting suites that they have and also the different ways in which the banks present their information. Um, All of them have independent audits conducted on some of their data points in order to give that information that added layer of legitimacy. And whether that makes sense for your organisation to do, for your board to do, is really up to you to decide on based on what it is that you're actually doing. What are the activities that you're doing and how how important is it to your stakeholders to have this information independently verified, much like what we do with our financial statements in a lot of organisations. So that's your three things. Ask your stakeholders what's important to them. Identify metrics and track and measure progress towards your goals. And thirdly, report on it. Tell your stakeholders what you're doing, what you've done and how it went. So that's our journey through ESG, the three things that all boards can learn from the big four banks. I do hope that you've enjoyed this slightly more academic episode I think that there are valuable lessons to learn from our larger organizations, what they do well and also what they don't do so well. There's a lot more that can be learned from the bank's activities regarding ESG. So when it's published, I will share my update. Um, I I will share the link to the article. I'll be very excited so I won't not talk about it (laughs) and I will probably do that through my newsletter. So be sure that you're subscribed uh, so you receive that update and all of the other information I share through my newsletter. And you can do that at getonboardaustralia.com.au at 
the bottom of any of the pages there that you land on. Uh, there's a form that, there, there that you can easily fill out and subscribe. If you haven't already, I invite you to subscribe, rate and review the Board Shorts podcast on your favourite podcast app. And please feel free to share that you're listening and what your takeaways are from this episode on social media using the hashtag Board Shorts Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you in the next episode. Board Shorts Podcast is powered by Get On Board Australia the destination for aspiring and new board members, helping you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom.